Welcome to SPAC Island with your hosts, Stan and Alex. We're two Silicon Valley tech product managers who love stock investing and have jumped on board the SPAC board. Join us on our journey to find the diamonds in the rough. But please always do your own research before trading. This is not financial advice. probably wait to see more on the aero aero farm space and the vertical farming to see which one kind of makes the most sense you know i think that's a it's a good segue to thinking about what the next spec might be there's one ag tech spec out there that is really interesting piqued my interest and the name is alexandria ag tech slash climate innovation acquisition corp so that mouthful of a name this centers around a guy named joel s marcus now, this guy founded Alexandria Real Estate, occupies a very interesting niche in the real estate investment trust market. So he owns a REIT that builds out facilities specifically for pharmaceutical and biotech companies. So companies like nowadays Moderna, everybody's heard of Moderna now, they actually lease their offices and their lab spaces from Joel and his company, Alexandria Real Estate. So he has campus like these uh, biotech campuses in Cambridge, in North Carolina, you know, lots of these different hubs in San Francisco as well, all setting up these uh, very specialized campuses for biotech and pharmaceutical companies to do their innovating. He also runs an ag tech accelerator for ag tech startups and also actively invests in actual startups as part of a venture arm within his real estate company. And he's spun up a SPAC in order to find the next big ag tech slash climate innovator. Ordinarily, I think it would be pretty difficult to try to guess what company a SPAC might pick. But because Joel has such a specific network, given his ag tech investments, given his ag tech accelerator, I think it might actually not be so difficult to predict this one. So he's got about a dozen companies that he's invested in over the last few years at various different stages. So Alex, why don't we just run through some of the companies that he's invested in over the years and see if we can make an educated guess as to what this back might turn into. Yeah, sounds good. There's about a dozen companies. Uh, some of them have already been acquired. Some are a little too early. They're in kind of the first couple round of investment. So they're not really good candidates for going public. And then there's another cut that we made where the company might be you know, generating revenue, but companies that SPAC have a particular story attached to them that makes them attractive to retail investors. And some of these companies are just a tad boring, to be honest. They make things like herbicides and fungicides, and it'd be... Very difficult for like a retail investor to get emotionally attached to that type of company. But there are some where they've raised a good amount of money. It seems like they have a a clear vision for what they want their product to be without looking at the revenue metrics. It seems like they they might be onto something. They're named Indigo, Inari, Greenlight, Biosciences, and Borgen. Their products have very different value propositions, but Indigo has raised the most money at over $1 billion. You know, my assumption is that the valuation should probably be at least a few billion dollars at this point. The reason for that valuation is probably because it is the closest to being just a 
straight up technology company in that I don't think this company directly, you know, plants any seeds or does any harvesting. They really are just a software technology to help farmers be better at farming. So, you know, if you're a farmer, one of the things that a farmer is always interested in is trying to uh, make more money off of their crops. So Indigo says that they help farmers earn extra income by increasing the amount of carbon in their soil. And by doing that, they get paid via carbon credits. So this is basically a carbon sequestration play. And then on top of that, uh, they provide tools to help them analyze their yield, make sure that they get the most out of the uh, seeds that they plant. And they also have an interesting marketplace where you can, you know, instead of driving your crops out to a physical market, you can say that you have, I don't know, uh, 10 bushels of, of corn and then somebody else out uh, somewhere else says, oh, I would love to pick up your corn and, and buy it off of you. So instead of going to a market, you digitally, you know, per, presumably off your phone, you can, you can set up that trade automatically and compare all the different offers in that marketplace. And then you can also, you know, work with a network of carriers to help with the shipping and logistics of your grain, which, you know, without being a farmer, I can imagine can be a very painful process to do uh, without any technology to help. That's an Ari in a nutshell, much more tech in ag tech, and seems like they're pretty mature given the amount of money they've raised. So, you know, this could definitely be a strong candidate for uh, going public via the SPAC model. The only, the only concern I have might be that they actually raised so much money that they actually want to go the IPO route. Yeah. Un- or unless maybe they go with like a Pershing Square type of model where there's a lot of cash in it for them. No, that's a good point. That it might it might just be too big. Um, but I mean, with SPACs, the thing is, I guess the IPO thing takes so long. That's the only uh-huh. kind of I think uh, reason they wouldn't do it is just that you can go public relatively quickly. Your investor already has a SPAC ready to go. Uh, if you want to do IPO, it might take six months to do the roadshow, or do all the paperwork, do the roadshow, get everyone hyped up for it, and then to to launch it. Uh-huh. So. I can see SPAC is just a quick way to kind of jump on the trend and get some yeah. liquidity. Anari is also like a pretty heavily funded uh, company. So one of these startups in the in the Alexandria uh, kind of investor portfolio. So they've raised $174 million and they focus more on creating seeds. Uh, so they have genetically modified seeds that meet specific goals that they have as a company and also these are kind of more global goals so like productivity so increasing yield for for instance uh, corn and soy they're able to get 20 uh, percent more yield water usage so making more uh, water efficient uh, seeds and more water efficient plants so for instance uh, a 40 percent reduction in water needed to grow corn and then uh, climate change so Reducing the amount of uh, CO2 produced uh, or being able to sequester more CO2. In the case of uh, corn, they're able, they have a seed that's able to reduce the nitrogen needed uh, by 40%. So nitrogen being the fertilizer uh, that's used to grow these crops. So essentially, it's kind of a Monsanto equivalent, except without a lot of the, the herbicide side. Uh, so Monsanto is one of those big companies, but they, they actually 
genetically modify their seeds to work with their pesticides. Uh, so you have to buy their seeds with their pesticides, uh, whereas uh, Inari is more focused just on uh, seed productivity and uh, having those seeds meet specific goals. So pretty interesting idea. It, they've raised quite a bit of money. They've raised uh, almost 200 million. They've, they're doing pretty well uh, in terms of like actually like meeting these goals and producing pretty effective seeds. It's just a question of um, how much can you actually make by selling seeds. Monsanto sell, has both sides of the market. So I think that's kind of one thing that's kind of interesting. Because if you're the farmer, do you want to use, I guess you can use the, the cheaper off-the-shelf pesticide, but if Monsanto is able to uh, increase yield by 50%, you're always kind of trying to beat the big dog in the space. So that's kind of one thing that's kind of interesting. But also it seems relatively early for these folks, uh, relative to Indigo, for instance. Yeah, I would say if they achieve their goals, it would be pretty crazy. Like the 20% stat that you quoted, uh, the 20% increase in yield in corn, like they also give these comparison stats to highlight how you know out of the park they would be um, hitting it if they actually met that goal. So that 20% increase in corn and soy yield is compared to 1% historical improvements per year. So you're looking at a 20x jump. Uh, for the water metric, where it's 40% less water needed for corn, they're saying that's uh, equivalent to about two years of U.S. total water consumption, domestic and public supply. So that's a ton of water um, that you could probably use for your vertical farms. <laughs> so, you know, or or just like drinking, right? And then for the 40% decrease in nitrogen needed for corn, you know, that, that comes out to a reduction in half a metric ton of CO2 per acre of corn, which I think speaks to, that, that last stat definitely speaks to the ESG side of uh, what people look for in SPACs nowadays. I think the one big thing that I can see from the story narrative side, keeping it from being a SPAC, is at the end of the day, GMO seeds are not sustainable from a farming perspective, right? Like every year you got to buy more seeds. Um, so the trade-off mm -hmm. is if you are greenhouse like App Harvest, you're probably using non-GMO seeds so that you so that it's more sustainable. You don't have to buy seeds every year to continue to grow your products. So you're saving that amount. But then is the seed so dramatically game-changing that one greenhouse of these GMO seeds is the equivalent of three more greenhouses. Like, is there some no-brainer part of this equation where it's like, oh yeah, GMO all the way, but pair that with a greenhouse where there are there is no need for pesticides, and then you have kind of the best of both worlds. So yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's just tough to make a business with that. The technology is pretty cool, though. Um, like, it sounds like this gene editing stuff and is sounds very sci-fi to me, but I always have to remind myself that Monsanto has been doing this for years and they've been making huge amounts of revenue from it. So it's like it's like very sci-fi language to describe the business, but it's um, you know already been done for for many, many years. I think like almost all the plants that we have are or all the the things that we eat are maybe not like directly genetically modified, but uh, they've been bred to taste the way they do. 
So all of our, oh, sure. our food stock are completely different than what they were originally in the wild when we found them. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like agriculture for sure has changed it, but this is definitely taking it, you know, up a notch. Like you need mm-hmm. a specific set of tools and expertise to pull off this kind of modification. So Greenlight is pretty interesting. Now that we're in a COVID-based world, the mRNA technology, messenger RNA, is, uh, I think, a well-known buzzword at this point. Um, Moderna, Pfizer, they all have this uh, mRNA COVID vaccine. Uh, But apparently mRNA is in all of us. You know, we have um, RNA inside of us, uh, and so do plants. And what that means is if you can build a business around understanding mRNA as a biotechnology, you can really impact agriculture um, in a variety of different ways. Uh, This company, Greenlight Biosciences, is looking to leverage mRNA uh, into a host of things like pest control. You know, I think they're even working on a powder version of the existing COVID vaccine. So I think the reason to take this one, this company public, is just that, one, everybody randomly now knows what mRNA is or has at least heard of it. Um, so a retail investor can latch onto that. I think that prior to COVID, so prior to 2020, mRNA-based biotech companies were probably having a hard time uh, monetizing their product because it was not a very widely used technology. Um, but now we've kind of broken the ice on this. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a flood of uh, mRNA-based solutions to a lot of, um, you know, health or biotech issues. And uh, this could be a really interesting area within biotech moving forward. I don't have a very good science background. I think the last time I took a science class was uh, high school AP chemistry, uh, which got me out of all life science classes in my undergrad years. But Alex, I think uh, you've been telling me you have some science background, right? Yeah, something like that. A lot of this technology has been around for a long time, but it's only been in the lab. So now we're essentially kind of breaking down a lot of these regulatory and uh, more like psychological barriers of, oh, mRNA, that sounds scary if you don't know what it is. I think a lot of people probably heard about it in like their bio classes. But uh, now we're just essentially injecting our own mRNA sequences to, to change plants, to change people, to change animals, to change uh, different things and to solicit specific reactions. It's more of just, like, this technology is not necessarily new. It's just that it's finally being able to get out of the lab um, and around a lot of these psychological and regulatory hurdles. Very cool. Especially applying to plants. I think that's kind of unique. So I was on the uh, neuroscience side, so focusing on the the brain. So (laughs) plants is kind of far, far away from what I'm used to. And plants are actually, um, their genome is a lot more complex, believe it or not, than, than most animals. Is that for animals in general or? Okay, so angiosperms and gymnosperms, which are two, like angiosperms, I want to say are, so any flowering plant. Uh, so it's an angiosperm and then gymnosperms are like conifer trees. So the base pair size is, in like mega base pairs, is like almost 100,000. And then humans have a base pair of like a tenth the size of a flowering plant. So. Huh injecting stuff into the plant genome it just seems like i don't know if, if the same mechanisms work like i don't really know how it works 
like for animals, like I, at least I'm more familiar, but with plants, I have no idea. I, it feels to me like it'd be more complicated because it's so much larger of a genome. Like, would you have to worry about duplicate? Like, do you have to be more specific when you code these sequences, or does the exact same mechanism work? I I don't know. Yeah. But um, I'm sure these uh, plant folks have figured it out at this point and figure out how to adapt the the mammal, like the technology we've worked on for humans and for mouse models to work on mm. plants. Or else this company probably wouldn't be around. <laughs> it seems like the value proposition is very attractive, though. Uh, just looking at their landing page, I think they're basically saying that normally the way you uh, protect crops from pests and fungus side and and uh, fungi is you spray like externally you spray something onto the plant uh, which obviously could be toxic to humans or bad for for the plants themselves but then if you modify the genome itself perhaps the plant could have these um, biological protections against the plants that you would normally spray these pesticides on. Well, I guess the, the difference is that you can you can uh, disseminate like a vaccine or you can essentially like inject this um, this mRNA strand rather than trying to make a whole new seed. Is that kind of part of it? Or are they trying to like target specific viruses that might be in the plant? Yeah, so it says uh, agricultural pests lead to more than $100 billion annually in global crop loss. Traditional pesticides work, but can be toxic. In addition, many chemicals applied to plants accumulate in our soil, water, or food and negatively impact beneficial insects such as bees and butterflies. And many destructive insects, weeds, and virus and fungi have developed resistance to pesticides. Um, But by applying our safe RNA-based solution to a plant, we silence a specific gene in the pest that is critical to its growth. Okay, that makes more sense. So instead of targeting yeah. the plant, they're targeting the the pest. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, like we would just get a seed that has the gene. Why would you try to add it? This reminds me of the story I heard about the mosquito, the malaria carrying mosquito, where they're literally like trying to genetically engineer it so that I think they make the females sterile. So they like they're basically trying to wipe out the type of mosquito that carries malaria through gene editing. I think all the males are sterile, mm-hmm. something like that. But it, yeah, it ultimately uh, reduces the population over time. Yeah. Well, same with uh, sh- den- dengue. There's a couple of these that are trying it. But also like the mosquitoes can become a vector for transmission of other diseases. If you genetically engineer the mosquitoes to like produce, a, I put like a specific um, DNA or like specific um, vaccine strand, like MRI strand into their, what's it called? They have like a like a liquid solution that they they secrete when they inject into you. That's why you don't feel it. And mm-hmm. if you put it into that, if you put like the this like mRNA strand into that solution, like if you essentially you modify them to secrete the mRNA strand in that solution, then you can also inoculate people in mass, which is a uh, one idea that people were toying toying with at one point. Ooh, so everybody gets a gets a vaccine. Yeah, very interesting. I I yeah. kind of like this company. I think it's very cool, especially now that mRNA is kind of in the public consciousness. Yeah, it's a very uh, nice route. Like you know, like most things, like you're trying to like murder, murder the plant or, mur- <laughs> or like murder the the pests. This is just like 
switching off a specific gene so that it can't do anything anymore. It's like a genetic version of uh, neutering a pet. I wonder if there's any risk of how well it works. I think that's the only kind of question here. Is it just it could still it be in science work? project mode. I guess you would make a unique one per pest, so then you'd be able to sell lots of this type of pesticide, which is kind of nice from like a growth standpoint. You just keep making different pesticides. Does it count as a pesticide? I mean, I it doesn't kill it. It just inhibits growth. They're almost like insect breeders at that point where they're breeding. Uh, like they have this example on their website of the Colorado potato beetle. Presumably they are editing the genome of, a, of the beetle and trying to introduce that into the ecosystem. And somehow the, this particular variety of the, this particularly uh, genome edited beetle ideally would take over the population over time such that these potato beetles are no longer uh, a threat to a farmer. I just wonder from like a marketing standpoint, does this count as pesticide free or organic? I think, I think so. Uh, I think the primary concern with pesticides is that you're spraying something that would harm you. uh, But unless you're like really eating the beetle, there's like no, but the, the mRNA is all over these plants. The odds of an mRNA strand like hurting somebody are like astronomically low, but uh, GMO, the odds of GMO hurting anybody is also astronomically low. So, you know, well, I don't think people necessarily take too well to these things they don't understand. Well, I, I would make the argument that I think the concern with GMOs is the uncertainty or the ambiguity of what type of impact the geo well, could, GMO you, might have you could on make you. the same argument with uh, mRNA. I have pretty strong opinions about GMO. Like it's totally fine. I don't really understand why people are so up in arms about the stuff. But if they don't understand it, they're not going to understand mRNA enough either to realize that it's also safe. So I think that's my kind of bear case on this one that they would still have to say it's mm. a pesticide. I think th- I think a key here would be if you can argue that things like bees are not harmed. So even if it doesn't harm human, even if um, Monsanto pesticides doesn't harm humans, I think what it seems like is happening is that it's harming the bees. Uh, could this technology become like a controlled substance in a way, like like in a very war crimey kind of way? If you could do this to pests, you could probably do this to other like animals humans. or humans. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you, oh, the only thing is like. In order to get it into the human, it's not so easy. Like that's a, kind of one thing I'm not understanding is like, just because you spray somebody with mRNA doesn't mean that it's going to get taken in. Right? Mm. Like the body, including the body of a beetle, has so many defenses to not just take in random DNA strands because that's what a virus is. Well, you got to leave a unless, piece of candy unless they, next to unless it. Unless it actually is a virus, maybe that's what they're using. I didn't actually look. It must be a virus. Is how they they transmit the. I mean, that's what we normally use. That's like normally the vector. There's some type of virus that's given, and then the virus already like kind of knows how to get into the body and then is able to uh, to get into the cells and then administer the mRNA. Hmm. It says it's a sprayable double-stranded RNA solution. I don't know at all what that but means. But you, you wouldn't, like the RNA is like relatively fragile. You wouldn't want to just like send out RNA by itself. In like a liquid solution because it denature 
you'd want mm. to uh you'd want to put it in something something that protects it and that's what like viruses viruses are essentially just like globules of fat with rna inside of it or dna you fat, depending on that you fat shaming viruses now yep <laughs> <laughs> so so my, my guess is they have some type of uh like the the mRNA is contained in the, in something, and that something hopefully ha- is like relatively good at getting into insects in this case. And is there any reason that thing that's good at getting into insects wouldn't be able to get to humans? Uh, no, it, it probably could. As expected, I don't really know anything about biotech, so thank you for uh, enlightening oh, me. Oh yeah, only uh, only six years working in labs, you know. <laughs> but um yeah i think uh i think that's interesting i mean we've had like gene editing capability for for a long time it's just it hasn't been able to cross the chasm of uh public perception but like yeah if you wanted to i don't know turn off some specific gene ah, if you want to turn off the onc- the cancer genes in uh in humans and like make a virus that or make it some like virus that does that then you, you could do that. What are the chances that Greenlight uh, just does like a complete 90 degree pivot into like human biology? Like they, maybe they saw like maybe they saw Moderna's success and they're like, oh, yeah, this is like definitely going to be a, a thing going forward. We should just be the next Moderna. And so they like abandon all of this random pesticide stuff and they're like following the market. Uh, I mean, the nice, the really nice thing about what they're doing is they don't have to worry about um, clinical trials. So I actually like that they're going in a relatively regulatory free environment and pursuing, like pursuing a route here rather than trying to, trying to get FDA approval, trying to get distribution. Like this is like kind of a green pastures for them. Like there's not really much competition. You go oh, to interesting. A, a farmer and you say, Hey, all your bees are going to be hundred percent fine. We're just going to kill the beetle. And they're like, cool. That's that's perfect. That's what we need. We need a scalpel. We need not a nuke. So I think uh, I actually like what they're doing here in this space. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's just the public perception. I think is not going to be so great. Mm. That's I think that's that's the only drawback I'm seeing. Because like it's still like, even if it doesn't kill the thing, like maybe it's a new class. Maybe it's like a pest inhibitor. Like it's still you're still spraying the stuff and like the pictures of people spraying the crops is probably still not good for PR. And I don't know mm. if it, it qualifies for organic, which is kind of the big, big thing. Like if you bring if you bring this to a farmer, an organic farmer, the organic farmer is like, well, I don't want to lose the organic certification because he's using pesticides or non-natural pesticides. I guess is what the stipulation is. So I think I want to say it's USDA that verifies all the organic stuff. So if they can get uh, approval from them. That this is or this still qualifies as organic, then, then they're good. I almost see their target market is potentially not even in the U.S. Like if in the U.S. over the next ten years, you see a lot more of these greenhouses and these vertical farms, and that's a big if. You may not need as much pesticide in the U.S. So maybe um, all these technologies going into pesticides. Are just countries where that's uh, where these greenhouses and vertical farms aren't really economically feasible, or where the expertise hasn't spread yet, and they're they're choosing to use um, just open, you know, traditional open field 
farming to grow their food, and this would be a much better alternative uh, for them. I could see that like in Brazil and places. Mm-hmm. I guess the only only kind of caveat is like, would you just go with a GMO plant that is designed not to have to worry about any of these things? One of the problems with the GMO is that you um, you have to buy the seeds every year, right? Yeah, for well, it depends on who produces it. So I think there there are variants where they're like they're produced by um, like they might be more generic. So it just depends on where you get them. If you get them from like Monsanto, then like yeah, they're they're locking you down on both sides of the market. But if you can get them from someone else, my my feeling is that most farmers do buy seeds every year, anyways. Like harvesting the seeds would just be too much work. So if someone can just who's already harvested the seeds can just give it to you, like that's going to probably be more cost effective for you rather than investing all the labor to try to extract the seeds. Yeah, I guess I never thought of the uh, like managing your own seeds as a it's a particularly costly thing to do. Like peanuts. Like these kind of things where we eat the seed, maybe in that case it'd be cost effective because like you're literally harvesting the seed. Hmm. But for corn, is the ear of corn the seed? I guess like the, is the all ear the of corn. No, 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 no. no, no the, the kernels kernel, are the seeds. The kernels are. So if you You've like eaten, say you yeah. So in in the case of corn, it would probably be worth harvesting it because it might take you like maybe you have a machine that just strips strips it. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these kernels that you can then use. Yeah, I think it just depends on the plant, if it's worth it, and the cost of those seeds. You know, of the dozen or so companies within the sphere of Alexandria uh, real estate companies' um, venture portfolio, we narrowed it down to three companies that we think have the best shot at being spacked. That's Indigo, the software technology helping farmers, Inari, the seed design company, and Greenlight Biosciences, the plant and pesticide mRNA company. So of these three, I think that as long as Indigo gets a a big enough pipe to satisfy their funding needs, and for context, uh, a pipe is basically additional funding added on top of the funding that originally went to the shale company's IPO as a supplemental cash flow resource to simulate the one singular chunk of money that a company would raise if they went through a normal IPO. But anyway, I think Indigo has the best shot at being understandable to retail investors and uh, seemingly further far enough along in how mature they are that they could in a few years IPO themselves, but if they want to go to market a little bit earlier, spacking seems like a pretty reasonable option. So that's that's my pick for who uh, Joel Marcus would pick to to spec. Your thoughts? Indigo makes sense. I think green light, if you're trying to like take uh, take advantage of kind of just all the attention that's on mRNA right now, I think that could also make some sense. Because I think Indigo is going to be a huge, huge amount of money. To it's going to be a huge valuation that I would have to justify. And so it could make more sense to IPO that one, especially if it doesn't have any funding needs, immediate funding needs. Whereas Greenlight, everyone's talking about mRNA. This is an mRNA company. Um, it just kind of feels like it. It could be a uh, a good retail investor spac play. Whereas Indigo might be a more traditional IPO. Alexandria Acquisition Corp 
has $250 million locked in already. And they have Goldman Sachs as an underwriter. So presumably you could um, pull in even more money. And then, um, you know, there might be other celebrity investors that want to get in in exchange for their marketing. They could probably uh, put in their own a uh, few million dollars as a pipe investment. If they've already raised a billion dollars, I don't know if a, uh, you know just a quarter of that is going to satisfy them. It seems like definitely would be a good chunk of change for for Greenlight Biosciences, though. I think Greenlight Greenlight's uh, current market cap or valuation is probably probably around a billion right now. So to me, it feels like it, it's a better fit with what they at least the money that they've already raised. But, did anything in the S1 kind of jump out at you that might indicate one way or another which one it could be? I'll, I'll say yes. Uh, so they have, the S1 has a strategy section, and it lists out several bullet points of the areas of biotech that they're interested in. And the last bullet point is a particular interest relative to Greenlight Biosciences. I mean, the first definitely the first one for sure, but... I think the last one is particularly so. So the last bullet is infrastructure with energy efficiency and health and wellness accreditations becoming more important for buildings to distinguish themselves. We believe that buildings will need to evolve towards a carbon neutral COVID free state of actually it mentioned COVID. And so I automatically thought of bio, of uh, green light, but actually yeah. the context of the sentence is completely different. So I'm going to take that back. I'm going to walk that back. Um, but I think we should still look at their strategy sections. I mean, infrastructure kind of, it works well with Indigo. But I think infrastructure, like, based on what they're saying, they're literally talking about maybe a building, like a building developer or some type of technology that makes buildings carbon neutral. It just feels, like, sufficiently vague where they might just try to, they might have, like, made this back to then see how much money they could potentially raise and then see which company is a good fit. Like, Indigo is indicated here. Aeroponics... I don't think they have anything in their portfolio. At least that we've talked about with using aeroponics, innovative food. Inari kind like, of could qualify. Yeah, Inari could qualify for that, but it just seems like they've they've almost said everything that's available <laughs> in the space. You know what I mean? Like biotech yeah, 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 yeah. is green light. Like this, this doesn't really indicate one way or another where they're leaning. It seems to me that maybe they haven't even chosen themselves. Yeah. So I think the answer to your original question of does their S one give any indication is. To some degree, they do. Yeah. So the short answer is no. Uh, they aren't giving any specifics, uh, but they, they're just calling out some of the big, well-known um, areas of innovation in climate and uh, ag tech. So, you know, they're clearly interested and the, the leader, uh, Joel Marcus, clearly has uh, some experience in this area. So the company that he picks, you you can expect that there's not... Too, like he's not bought into too much hype. Hopefully, at least from his perspective, he knows what he's doing. He might try to hype up the company if uh, if it's in his portfolio. There's obviously a bias there, but he should at least know what he's doing. And it's uh, up to him to kind of be uh, investor friendly. So you're you're still sticking with uh, Indigo as your pick? I think so. Um, I think my top pick is Indigo, although it could, like I said at the top of the session, it could just try to IPO itself. My second is Greenlight. And then I think the other ones are kind of 
maybe like I would I I wouldn't even rank them at that point. I would just say Indigo and Greenlight seem like the top choices. Yeah, I would I would stick with uh, Greenlight as my top choice because SPACs are something that can be executed relatively quickly. So mm. essentially, the uh, the shareholders vote and then the merger is approved and then they start the merger process. I think it's less than a month for it to happen. Um, so you can you can take advantage of all of the hype around mRNA and around the te- the tech that Greenlight is doing. So there's there is a bit of a time crunch for them. Mm. Whereas for Indigo, you got a lot of funding. You have to raise a lot from a SPAC, which you probably don't want to do. You'd probably try to go for the IPO to jump up more more potential, also more trust. I think there's still I mean SPACs are new. I think people are kind of experimenting with them, but I'd still say there's more trust in the traditional IPO. Um, so I, if I were, if I were them, I'd try to hold Indigo back for, for an IPO and there is no time crunch on them. So why, why try to rush things? Whereas Greenlight, ah. it might have its, uh, its time to shine in the short term. Uh, so my, my pick is Greenlight because of that. I love your timing argument. I, yeah, I'll, uh, you've persuaded me. I will amend my ranking to be Greenlight first. Um, I guess the real question is if they did choose Greenlight, would you buy that spec? I'd love to. I I think I probably would, and uh, I guess the only open question is around how the public perception of this type of scalpel is. But if you're a farmer and you're already like non not certified organic, if you could kill one thing rather than everything, why would you not do it? And thus the price is a lot different. But assuming the price is com- comparable, then I I think it's a no brainer for farmers. I think this is a pretty interesting uh, interesting solution. And I'm, I'm just one that can be expanded almost anywhere. And anytime there's a blight, then you can also have like a specific mRNA solution for that blight. Um, and because you're tar- like you're targeting the entire genome, so you can just keep knocking out genes. You don't need like a lot of the different solutions we have for, for instance, antibiotics. Antibiotics are, are like exploiting a specific structural like mechanism that bacteria have that's different from eukaryotic cells, which is what human cells are uh, and we're kind of running out of those mechanisms mechanisms we can exploit but if you're knocking out genes in the genome that are vital then like we can just keep changing it as the genome changes so as there's mutations in these different uh, animals and different uh, pests we can always we can just keep genotyping them and then um, updating the, the mRNA that's in the the slurry that we spray on everything so it kind of is almost mm. like a infinite solution that can that can scale with all these mutations that happen i think i would need to take a look at their financials like my only concern is that the value proposition that they're giving is more at still at the research phase so if they had some you know a few million dollars in revenue and they think they can scale that up pretty quickly then i i might be a lot more inclined um I personally would be much more interested in like an indigo type of play where it mm-hmm. just like it's easier for me to wrap my head around it. So I just yeah, feel, the software I side. feel more comfortable. I guess my own level of uncertainty, it decreases my appetite for risk when I don't understand <laughs> really what they do. Yeah. So I have I don't have that as much with indigo. Yeah. I mean for Greenlight, like I could legitimately see like that type of pesticide solution being the what the whole what everyone adopts in the next like ten years? Mm. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like a Kathy Wood type of company. I mean, I'd be interested in 
and that affects the IPO. I think if it's Indigo, I don't really see as much growth potential. I think people adopt the software. It's a typical kind of SaaS company, which is great. I mean, the you know SaaS companies have done pretty well um, on the on the hey, market. Hey man, SaaS, SaaS companies don't knock them. They they're just a cash flowing machine, man. But uh, I like I like that uh, Greenlight is potentially a game changer for an entire industry. Yeah, I mean, because the argument's like you can kill exactly what you want to kill, whatever it is. So no more beetles, but lots of butterflies and everything else. So time will tell how that prediction pans out. So final question: Do you believe enough in Joel to get into the spec without even him announcing which companies he'll buy? I mean, so right now we're assuming that he's gonna he's gonna invest in his own investments. Yeah, it just makes the most sense to me. Like you have all of these companies that you have at your fingertips. Like why would you, why would you exit some other company that you're not really affiliated with? Like from a from a investor returns perspective, that just seems counterintuitive. If he were to go with another company, that's my assumption. I'm just like wondering, like okay, so hypothetically, if we're wrong about all these, like these four being like the top SPAC candidates, like. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that he could kind of look at that might be something I wouldn't want to invest in? I mean, he could invest in literally anything. Like the S1 doesn't prevent him from investing in like like a semiconductor company. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is I'm just I'm looking at his other investments that we didn't talk about. The mm-hmm. ones with uh less clear investor stories like Benson Hill, which is working on using data to improve photosynthesis and a lot of other kind of Pretty interesting things, and they've raised around two hundred eighty million. So there's there's other companies in this portfolio that could also potentially be investment targets. I agree. Like I don't think these are as likely. So then the question is, like, would I just invest blind um, and hope that he picks something that I'm familiar with? I'd say it's like a fifty percent chance of him choosing mm-hmm. a company that I like, fifty percent chance of him choosing one that I'm not so fond of. But I think either way, once the merger is announced, I think the stock will go up. So buying now doesn't seem like such a bad decision. Yeah, that might be the play. I know lots of company, uh, lots of retail investors like to play the SPAC pop game. So, I mean, if it's a company you don't like, you don't believe in it in the long term, then great. You can just dump it after the pop, you still make some money. If it is a company you believe in the long term, great. You're you can you got it at a good price and then you can hold it for, for the years to come. I'll be I'll probably be investing in this uh, after the episode. <laughs> right on. Thanks for listening. Follow us at SPAC Island on Twitter for updates, to give us feedback on the show, and to tell us which SPACs we should review next. Note, the opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and not of any entities they may be associated with. As always, this is not financial advice. Remember to do your own research.